Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today we're going to be in the book of Psalms, chapter 150. Yeah, Psalms has a lot of chapters. And so let me give you some clues, some hints on how to find the book of Psalm. I'm going to put a graphic uh, up on the screen here in a moment that gives some basic instructions on how to find Psalms. Uh, Psalm 150 uh, is actually the last of all the Psalms. So if you do find Psalms, you'll go to the very end of that book, and 150 is the very last one. If you hit Proverbs or Isaiah or any of those, you've gone too far. So what do you think God wants from our worship. When we sing, when we give him all of these words that we sing up on these screens, when we sing these words, what do you think it is that he wants? What is it that he's looking for out of our worship? Day in and day out, We've been talking about it. He wants all of you. He wants your Monday through Saturday, doesn't he? Now, what does the Bible say, though, about when we don't give him everything in our life, but we come here on a Sunday morning and we worship, we sing these songs? Well, let me give you a, a, a little story. When my wife and I first got married, we lived in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, which, if you know Texas, it's extremely large. My parents and my wife's parents lived up in the panhandle of Texas, which is like Amarillo. We were down in Fort Worth. Um, and so when it came to holidays, we had to drive six or seven hours to get uh, to my parents' house or her parents' house. Uh, and so the first year that we're married, we'd moved to Fort Worth. We were living life, and we had bought a puppy, a little bird dog. His name was Caleb. He was rusty red. If you know what a Vishla is, it's like this solid reddish, beautiful dog. So we get this dog. He's just, you know, nine weeks old. Uh, we bought him in like October. Uh, and then fast forward, we were going to go spend Christmas with our family. So he, he's a couple, three months old at this point, And we take him with us. And, and now, at the church I worked at, we had a big Christmas Eve service, and so we would, I would do the Christmas Eve service, and then after it was all done, we would hop in the car and start driving over, you know, middle of the night and get to my parents' house at like three o'clock in the morning. So we get all loaded up, we put Caleb in the car, and we take off. And we get about two hours, now we'd stopped a couple of times, but we got about two hours into this drive, and Jana from the passenger seat goes, Chad, can you smell that? And I was like, no, what are you talking to? Oh my gosh, what is that? All of a sudden, the cab of this vehicle, if you could see it, it would have been like in the movies, like it would have been in a green fog that had moved through the cab of our four-door sedan. And it was so bad, like, don't get me wrong, like you hear stories about people clearing a room. I've never experienced someone like clearing a room Caleb cleared the car. We pulled over because we thought he'd had an accident in the back seat. It was so bad. It was repulsive. It was awful. 
that smell is like nothing I've ever smelled before. And so we get out and we check everything. Everything's fine. It was just gas. Okay, we can move on. And so we get back in the car and we're like, we can't get in and start moving yet. We need to let this air out. So we got back out of the car. We're stand, sitting on the highway, pulled over. And we're like, okay, we got to open all the doors. It was that bad. It was disgusting. It's funny. But what do you think our singing to God on a Sunday morning is like to him if we don't live for him outside of these doors. Not funny anymore. Sorry. Our worship, and I've been saying this for several weeks now, when we come here and we sing these songs, these songs should be a mirror reflecting back what we've been doing out in our life Monday through Saturday. Let me give you some things that God says about this in his word. What does God truly desire? Well, in Amos, Old Testament book, if you've never read it, it's, it's one of the last 12 books of the uh, Old Testament. In Amos chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, God says this, Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now look at that passage on the screen. What do you think it is that God desires from us in our worship? To Him, our worship is what we do. It's not what we sing. As I've been saying, what we sing on a Sunday morning or in our car or whatever, that is a tiny portion. It's a little bitty component of what true worship actually is. You see, in the book of Amos, he was living about the same time as Isaiah, which we looked at last week. Uh, in in a Amos's day, the Israelites were living in disobedience to God. So they're mistreating the poor. They're taking advantage of people. They're not really living for God all that much, even to the point that the Israelites would completely turn their back on God and would worship other idols if God didn't give them what they wanted. Well, I'm not getting the crop I want, so I'm going to go worship some other God. I don't have the blessings that I want, so I'm going to go over and worship this other God. But here's the thing. They were still going to the temple regularly and worshiping. And so God in Amos 5 goes, guys, stop. I don't want your music. I don't want your instrumentals. Go live for me and then come back and sing worship to me. But your worship, your songs revolt me. They're disgusting because it's hypocrisy, isn't it? They were singing and they were reading the Bible and they were donating money on Sunday. But then they were mistreating people and they were not living the way God wanted them to live Monday through 
the rest of the week. And so God is not happy with that. You see, when they gathered together, they were following the right script. They were doing all the right things when they got together as a, as a body, as a group of followers of God. They were reading the Bible, they were praying, they were singing, they were giving their required offerings. But they weren't living for Him day in and day out. And this is a danger for us also, isn't it? It's really easy. And, and please, no judgment here. I just want to point it out. It's really easy to show up on a Sunday morning and sing these songs and listen to a guy on stage teach you about the Bible and then go to a Bible study and it makes you feel good, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's real easy to show up and be very godly on Sunday morning and then get in our car and forget what we just did and what we just sang and what we just prayed and what we just read. It's really easy to do that. That's what sin does. That's one of the ways that sin affects us day in and day out. So if we want to sing these songs, then we also have to be living for him Monday through Saturday. So what does, I've said, I've answered the question what God does not want in worship, right? So what does God actually want in worship? He wants one thing and one thing only. When I got married, I committed my life to my wife. Now, is a healthy marriage... If I got married and I'm standing at the altar with my wife and I look at my wife in the eyes and I say, I'm committing to live in the same house with you and we'll share a bank account and we'll raise children together, but you need to know that this lady down the street, I'm going to continue a relationship with her. Is that a good marriage? No, that's not the basis for a good marriage. When you enter into a biblical, covenantal marriage, you give your everything to your spouse. You don't have any side relationships. You don't have any others that you're pursuing. You pursue your spouse alone. And God is asking nothing less than that. He's actually asking you much more than that. What does God want in worship? Well, that's today's big idea. I like to give everybody one statement that I really want you to take home and think about. And today's big idea is simply this. God wants your everything in worship. He doesn't want you to have any side relationships with other things that you might worship or, or place your faith in. He wants your everything. The greatest commandment, if you go read Matthew chapter 22, uh, this religious scribe, this scholar comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment in all of the Bible? And Jesus says, well, there's two. The first one is what? 
love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Now, why is there a list given there? Because God wants to make it abundantly clear that the greatest commandment ever given in the Bible is to love God with all of us. With every ounce of our being, we're to love Him. If that's the greatest commandment, don't you think that that's what worship looks like? Isn't worship when we give God everything? That's what he's saying here. He wants your thoughts. He wants your, your, your lifestyle, your dreams, your desires, your relationship, your time, your, your resources. He wants all of you. Worship, true worship is giving God everything. Not the stuff that's convenient, but all of it. That's what God wants for, from us. He doesn't care about what style of music is sung and played up here, does he? Can God be worshipped in country music? Absolutely. Can God be worshipped by singing a psalm? Absolutely. Can God be worshipped by singing a hymn? Absolutely. Can God be worshipped by singing a contemporary Christian song, worship song? Yes. Can God be worshipped in any and all types of music? Yes. Whether it's your preference or not, God doesn't care. He just wants your worship. God doesn't care about the genre or style. He doesn't care about how talented the musicians are. Now, we are spoiled rotten in this church because we have got some incredibly talented musicians. And maybe that sometimes spoils us in a bad way, right? He doesn't care how talented the people on this stage are. And let me say one other thing. He doesn't care how talented your vocal cords are either. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say make a pretty one. <laughs> People have asked me a few times, Chad, why don't you sing with the music ministry? Guys, let me be really frank with you. My singing is like a coyote caught in a bear trap. <laughs> it ain't pretty. But I will tell you one thing. When I'm sitting on the front row right here on a Sunday morning, I'm singing. Because it doesn't sound, it, God doesn't care if I hit the right note. He doesn't care if my pitch is perfect. He wants me to make a joyful noise. He wants all of me. He wants all of you. That's what he calls us to. You see, he cares for your everything, for your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 say this. Jesus is talking to a woman at a well. And he says this, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What do you think that means? To worship God in spirit and truth. It's that we give him everything in the truth that he gives us. He is truth. And he is spirit. And we worship him accordingly. Notice the true worshiper does not worship God in perfect pitch. The true worshiper does not worship God by sounding beautiful. Believe me, no matter how terrible you sound, those worship songs coming up to heaven into God's ears is a beautiful aroma. That's what the, New, the Old Testament says. Your worship to me is a beautiful aroma. Have you ever gone to a, a little kid's concert, like a school concert or, or something like that? As a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent? I've sat through some really terrible sounding concerts. And do you think I care? Absolutely not. I don't sit there listening to my five-year-old sing at the top of his lungs terribly. I don't sit there criticizing how terrible they sound. My heart is warmed by the beauty that I see from my son. God doesn't care how you sound. He doesn't care what happens up here. He cares that you're giving him your everything. That's what worship is. So what do we do then? What is, when we sing, when we worship, when we live for God, what does that need to look like? Well, I want to give you four things that I think the Bible points us to when we worship, whether in song or in life. The first one is this. Worship should always lead us to confess and repent of our sins. Basically meaning we recognize the ways that we have disobeyed God, that we've fallen short. That's the confession. We recognize it. We tell God, I'm sorry. I need to be forgiven here. Help me. And then repentance is us saying, here's my sin. I'm going the other way. I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to do what I can do to remove that temptation and sin from my life. That's what repentance is. It's saying, I'm going to do whatever I can do to not return to the sin. So true worship drives us to confess and repent. There's a psalm, Psalm 51. It's very famous. If you read the whole thing, you, you would probably recognize some of the phrases in it. It's a song that King David wrote, and he wrote it at a time when he had committed two of the most atrocious sins that a person can commit. He slept with a woman that was married to someone else, forced her into it. And then to cover up his sin, because he got her pregnant, to cover the sin up, he had her husband killed out on the battlefield. He murdered somebody. And later, when things start happening, one of the prophets of the nation comes to David and says, David, 
You're guilty here. And David, in humility, he repents in that moment. And he writes this, Psalm 51, verses 15 through 17. He says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So he's talking about verbal worship of some kind. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Catch this part. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise these. He's recognizing that he messed up. He committed some terrible sins. And what does he do in response? He confesses those. If you read the rest of this uh, Psalm, Psalm 51, he's confessing, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. Please have mercy on me. And then here he says, help me repent. Help me to worship you with my life. And I will worship you with my mouth. So, What does true worship lead us to? It leads us to confess and repent. If God wants our everything in worship, then the way we live should be reflected in that by confession and repentance. The second thing that it leads us to is to sing with joy. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 150, the passage that uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the message this morning. This is the very last of the Psalms, and it's the very last on purpose. This is probably a Psalm that David wrote. We're not 100% sure, but probably he wrote it. And it was placed here at the end to give us an idea of what the rest of the book is supposed to be about. This is the concluding statement of the entire book of Psalms. And look at what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now catch this part, all you musicians and those of us that can't carry a tune in a bucket. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. All you drummers, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now in our English, we don't get some of this, but the first statement and the last statement are completely identical. Praise the Lord. Do you know what that is in the original? This was originally written in the Hebrew language. That is a one word, and it's hallelujah. When you sing hallelujah like we did earlier this morning, hallelujah is the Hebrew word for praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Praise Him. Praise Him for everything that He's done for us. For Praise Him for His greatness. Praise Him with all of our musical instruments. Praise Him. Hallelujah. 
the Bible calls us to sing. It's commanded. And this is not the only passage. This is one of many that calls us to verbally and musically worship the Lord. We are called to give Him the glory and the honor and the praise. So, I've said there are four responses here. First, confess and repent. Second, sing. Third, focus on the pronouns of the song you're singing. So, when the pronouns are primarily he, then you're proclaiming something to God, aren't you? You're singing about him. There have been several songs this morning that talked about he. He is worthy. Who is worthy? He is worthy. But there are many psalms and many worship songs that have I or we in them. And a lot of times those I and we focused songs are calling us to action of some kind. They're calling us to worship. They're calling us to live for him. They're calling us to lead people to his greatness and his salvation. And so pay attention to who the song is focused on. Guys, I think sometimes we get so used to the songs we sing that we forget to think about the songs we're singing. There are some songs that you could turn your mind completely off and you've sung it so many times, you could sing it and turn your brain off and it wouldn't change anything. You could still sing it word for word. But when we worship, we should concentrate on those words and what they say, declaring those to God. So confess and repent, sing. And again, it doesn't have to be pretty, just sing joyfully third focus on the pronouns and lastly worship like you're not alone because you're not i mentioned earlier that the old testament speaks about our godly worship when we're living for him and we bring those those worships to him when we bring those those words and that music god says it's like a sweet aroma to him It's pleasant. It makes him happy. And so when you worship, don't worship like you're just singing a song. Don't sing a worship song the way you sing other songs. Sing those worship songs to that audience of one. To the one who alone deserves our worship. Sing, sing loudly, sing unashamedly. Don't reserve it, don't hold it back. Bring him the worship. See, your audience is an audience of one that loves you more. My, my five-year-old likes to run around and say, I love you more. And then he'll talk about how much his love is. And right now it's all space-themed. I love you to the moon and back. 
Oh yeah, well, I love you to Saturn and back. Oh yeah, well, I love you to the sun and back. Oh yeah, well, I love you to Pluto and back. And oh yeah, well, I love you to all of space and back. Oh, you win. But you can't do that with God, can you? Because his love is truly infinite for you. There is no boundary to the love that God has for you. And that's why he deserves our worship. That's why he deserves our everything. It's because his love for you could never be measured. It could never be calculated. It could never be quantified. It is unending. And let me just say one thing. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You don't believe in God. You're, you're, you're kind of going, okay, what's, what's this worship thing about? Please hear me. Jesus loves you more than any person, even your parents or that relationship that you had or have that you think so fondly of. The love that Jesus has for you blows that out of the water. He loves you so much that he died for you. He had to die because we are sinners and we needed to be rescued from that sin. So Jesus died on a cross to rescue, to save you from those sins. And three days later, he rose from the grave proving that he is God the Son. Proving that he has defeated sin and defeated death. And he simply calls for you to believe in him and commit your life to him in worship, like what we've been talking about. And if you want to know more about that, if you want to know more about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to commit your life, what he's asking, what he's done, I want you to reach out to us. You can grab me after service. I'll be out in the foyer. My name's Chad. Just come talk to me. I would love to answer any questions you might have about our journey with Jesus and what it looks like. Or fill out a connect card. Go to the website and go to the contact page. I would love to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus and why you might want to consider that. Answer any questions you might have. But please hear me. Jesus loves you. He loves you in an infinite, boundless way. If for no other reason, that's why we worship. That's why we give him our worship today. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love, that boundless love that cannot be measured, cannot be quantified, cannot be counted. We thank you for that love. Lord, today we pray first off that you would help us to be drawn closer to you. If there's anyone here who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I, I pray that they would ask the questions. For those who do know you, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, the way John 4 calls us to. That we would not just sit here and sing these songs and lift up our prayers and listen to somebody talk from your word, but that we would go out and live it in our lives 
day in and day out. That our worship would be our life. That we would give you our everything. Help us to do that, Lord. We can't do it without you. We need you to live for you. So, Lord, we thank you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.